RadioInfluence.com. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Live Bold and Boss Up show. Today we are happy to introduce our guest today. He is an executive vice president over at HKA Enterprises. He oversees the management, sales, business development, account management, executive search team, and marketing initiatives. That's a lot. Um, People call this individual the builder because he specializes in building top performing sales organizations. He is has an innovative approach with business development and marketing and has revolutionized the companies that he's been a part of. Um, he's translated it into real revenue growth for their top and bottom lines. Um, his management style is considered to be all encompassing, motivational, inspirational, educational and transformational. He is a player's coach. He focuses on training, development, and career mapping of the employees within the organization. He resides in Greensville, South Carolina. And outside of work, he enjoys powerlifting, martial arts, and being involved with his church and family. Welcome, Aaron Colip. Thank you for coming in. Wow, what an introduction. (laughs) (laughs) That was a mouthful. I was. No, very impressive background. Oh, well, thank you. I didn't expect that, but thank you. (laughs) So, Erin, you bring a lot of sales talent and experience to today's discussion. Many companies are struggling right now. Um, What are the top five reasons why business may not be growing? You know, it's a really tough time to have a business right now. Right, You're talking Mm -hmm. to somebody who's owned one before. And so there's really five things that I'm hearing from people where I, I think it's something we've got to talk about. Number one, you don't have the right people in the right spot on the team within your organization. I think it's a big problem. So that's number one. And, and or you don't have enough talent, right? It's the number one problem that sports teams have today when they're not winning championships. They don't have the right talent. They're not recruiting the right talent, especially in college, right? So you've got that problem. Number two, you've got mismanagement of finances. So a lot of businesses today don't know how to run their books. So in the midst of COVID right now, that's something we got to talk about. Right. How are you managing your finances? How are you managing your gross profits and revenues and the things that are coming in? How's your PL look? Mm-hmm. Number three, lack of vision and leadership. Okay, so that is essential. A lot of companies right now don't have great leadership. They're looking for it. Employees are looking for leaders right now to find a way through this mess to guide them. Right. Furloughed employees are looking to get their jobs back. Mm-hmm. Right. You've got uh, CEOs and presidents that maybe aren't laying out a clear path or a vision for their organization in the midst of this crisis. What does that look like? What is true leadership in the organization? Right. What are great leaders doing right now? So that's number three. Number four, you've got a low performing marketing and sales organization. So I'm in marketing and sales and business development. And I see that a lot. A lot of companies don't have salespeople. The owner's selling. They do have salespeople. They don't know how to close. They're not performing. They don't know how to operate in this COVID environment of Zoom calling, lack of face to face interpersonal relationships. That's an issue. And finally, low retention of the client base. How do you grow, you know, with your clients? How are you, are you creating relationships with your clients? Um, right now, uh, we have a lot of organizations that have customer service problems. Mm-hmm. All right. They're not handling their client base and their client base is moving away. Um, they're the, the price is becoming in a market like this price begins to dictate business and value begins to take a back seat when you have a depressed economy. So how do you as an organization sell value of a price? So these five things are all encompassing. There's a lot to talk about here. Yeah. But these are some of the things that I'm seeing in the market. I'm sure you've seen the same. 
Absolutely. And I want to touch base because I feel like there's a lot of good stuff there that you just said. How do you, whenever you're, ta- whenever you said, I think it was number one, you don't have the right people in the right spot on the team. How do you know? How do you know that? Like, is it just the company performance or individual performance or how do you gauge that? Well, from personal experience, being at HK now for the last three months, uh, one of the first things I did when I got in there was assess the landscape. Because, you know, as people were assigned to me, um, first thing I'm analyzing is, is everybody in the right role? So, and I'm doing that in multiple ways. Number one, I'm bringing the employee and I'm interviewing them and talking to them, right? Finding out if they're passionate about what they're doing, um, looking at their performance metrics. I'm talking to other people about that employee, other people within the organization, what their skill sets and strengths are. And what I find almost every single time, and I've already made some changes even in where I'm at, is that you just have to move people around. Some of them are very valuable employees. They're just doing the wrong job. Mm-hmm. So what I found in my team at HKA is that I had really good employees, but some of them needed to be moved into another spot. And as soon as you move them in there and you train them and teach them and develop them, you find that you have a rock star. You find that you have true talent. You know, And so I think it's good for any leader, any sales organization, manager, business development, whatever, if you're managing people, even if it's outside of sales, if you're just managing people in general, you got to get to know your employees. Right. You have to know what their strengths and weaknesses, kind of a SWOT analysis on your employees, mm-hmm. strength, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. Mm-hmm. Right. And once you analyze that and their current job description, right, does that match up with their skill sets? And then more importantly, is it what they want to do? So I, often, I asked almost a lot of my employees when I first got there, I said, what do you want to do in five years, 10 years? And so I think that that's essential. And some of the things that I heard were contradictory to the career path they were currently heading down. And it's like, OK, what if you did this? What if I gave you a choice between being a recruiter, being in sales, or being an account manager? Right, what would you do? Well, I would like to do this. Oh, okay. Well, let's, how do we career map you over there? See, I'd rather move you over there where you're passionate and hungry than leave you in a role where you're not happy. Mm-hmm. So huge. I think that's a, a big thing for uh, employers to look at nowadays. I love that you said that because I was literally, it was probably about two days ago, I was sitting on a training and... They were talking about having the right employee, but in the wrong role. So they're not able to be successful. They're not set up for success. And if they were just to be in a different role, they could, you know, just like soar and just achieve, you know, so much more. It's just they weren't in the right role. So interviewing them, talking to them, knowing your employees. I love that. Like, I think that's key. And a lot of companies don't do that. No, they really don't. Um, A lot of companies don't look at their employees that way. Uh, they're not analyzing employees. If you read the book, Good to Great, which talks about this, oftentimes before you let go of an employee, you look and see, is there another seat on the bus where they can create value? Mm-hmm. So to me, nowadays in the workforce, as an employee, of any, whether you're high up as an executive or you're down at the bottom of the totem pole, it's all about the value that you bring to the organization. Okay, so for me, I'm, before, I'm, I'm not quick to cut people loose as much as I am to say, what value, if any, can they create? They're low performing in this category, but maybe they shouldn't be doing this. Mm-hmm. And I think nowadays that's one of the problems that we're having as leaders okay, is making sure we're placing people in that right category. So it's a problem, and it's, it's a problem for a lot of organizations now. You've got employees that just don't really love what they do. And, you, and as managers, we need to sit down and say, what do you want to do? What makes you happy? And in some cases, they don't even want to be in the company. They want to do something else, you know, and we encourage them to say, well, you know, go do that. Find your dream. Do what you want to do. Do what you're passionate about. Don't come to work every day if this isn't what you love. And that translates into some of these other points that we talked about, like number five, customer service. Right. Okay. So that's why we have rough customer service in organizations today is all those customer service employees don't want to be there. Right. They're not happy. 
You know, and so we want happy, go lucky customer service agents that are happy to take your call. Right. And that's what clients want. I think that's important to, you know, not discard an employee just because they're not doing the current job correctly. Um, You've already invested a lot in that employee. You probably trained them. You have them in your benefits. You've paid for benefits, 401k, whatever. So it's really, I think, important for the leaders to, to, you know, look at that individual. And like you said, okay, maybe it's not this role. Maybe it's a different role. Cause you're right. If, if that person's not a happy go lucky person taking, taking client calls, then, you know, your client retention base will be low. You're absolutely right. And if you translated stuff into the second point here on this, on this point, right. You don't have the, enough talent. You don't have good people on your team. This, that's another big problem. That we're finding. Mm -hmm. So you go into a lot of organizations. And that was one of the things that I asked myself when I first got in is, do I have the talent to win a championship? So for me, you know, as a leader in an organization, I want to win championships. I'm not, you know, content with just hitting a sales quota, right? And just doing what I have to do to get by. I want to win a title. Mm -hmm. Okay. Maybe that's that coach in me, right? We talk about. So how do I coach my players? I mean, we need, I need to develop talent. So, you know, a good analogy would be college football. Okay, and so, you know, being at Clemson University and finishing my MBA, one of the things that you can translate is Clemson football, right? What has made Dabo Sweeney so successful in that program? He's developed his talent, but he also recruits the best talent. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, you know, he's taking a guy like Travis Etienne, who's a running back, who's a three-star, and he developed him into a five-star running back. So he can take those three stars and develop them, but he's also recruiting five-star players. Okay, so they're coming in. They're the best in the country. And that's how you win championships. So what we're looking to do, and I think a lot of companies need to do, is you need to, sometimes it's, it costs a little bit more money, but you get what you pay for. Yeah, that's a good point. Right? So hire good talent, especially in strategic positions. And one of the things that I've heard from companies right now is, well, Aaron, I don't have the budget for it, A. Number two, I just need people right, well, for our business to survive. Budget. You're not going to have the budget for it if you hire someone within your quote unquote budget and they don't hit that quota or they don't meet your needs, right? You're going to be spending three times that salary amount. Exactly. So yes. really that's, that's a, um, an unfair statement to your business. It really is. And you've got, like I said, even retail and hospitality right now, they're happy to just have people. Mm-hmm. So forget talent for a second. They're just happy, but I will say this in this economy, the way it's at right now, there is a tremendous talent pool out there. Look at unemployment. It's getting better. But there are a lot of talented individuals that I've run across already through LinkedIn that have reached out to me or what have you that I'm really impressed with. Okay, so as the budgets begin, the hiring budgets begin to open up, you know, I've got a list Mm -hmm. of candidates that I'm interested in talking to. Okay, because I think now is a great talent grab Mm -hmm. for companies like us because it's been let go or furloughed all over the country. Mm -hmm. Right. That goes perfectly with our last episode that we just did Mm -hmm. on the job market. Well, now is a good time to hire because there's a lot of great talent out there and companies, they need to upgrade their talent right now. They need to right. run lean and strong. And by upgrading your talent um, right now, you're really like, you know, doing yourself a big you know, favor by hiring yeah. good people right now. There's a window of opportunity right now that you have to take advantage of. Absolutely. And it's and again, it fixes this problem. Point number one here with a lot of business. Human capital is your greatest resource, Mm -hmm. but companies don't see it that way. Um, You know, some people look at them as numbers on a piece of paper. So I think that those are some of the suggestions that we can make to say, number one, so we're recapping this point. Okay. Number one, make sure you have the right people and good talent on your team. Mm -hmm. If you don't, then you have to move some people out 
okay, and you can't find them another seat on the bus, do that. All right. You always want to have good talent. Number two, make sure your people are in the right place. So look at your organizational hierarchy and your org charting. And if you need to reorg and make some different changes, do that and maximize the talent that you have. Exactly. And you got to develop those people at that point. Once you have them in the right spot, you can't just say, go get it. You need to train and develop and teach and give them tools to be successful. Mm-hmm. If you do that and you solve point number one, that solves a lot of problems for businesses today. Just that point right there is there people in their human. That's why it's number one on our list. Yeah. Right. Talk, talk to me about the, you know, mismanagement of the finances. I know we were chatting about that earlier over mm-hmm. coffee and we were chatting about specific industries really losing out here. Talk a little bit about that. Um, share with with the listeners what we were talking about earlier. OK, well, you really have what I found two different types of people at the top of an organization. You have accountants who like to hold on to everything. And then you have more sales oriented business owners that like to spend a lot of money. Right. And it's hard to have one that's kind of balanced in between. Mm -hmm. And so um, when you're looking at your financial statements right now, um, I think, you know, you got to be right in the middle. And and, and that's where a lot of companies are struggling is, you know, number one, you got to generate revenue. Okay, but with the revenue you do get. So let's talk about, for example, hospitality and restaurants right now. What do you two think are some of the problems that they're facing right now when it comes to mismanagement of finances? There's so many issues right now going on. I mean, I think just COVID is beating them over the head, right? Nobody wants to stay in a hotel that doesn't offer the beach right next door or, you know, isn't next to an airport if someone is traveling finally for work. So, you know, they don't they're they're falling behind in in attaining revenue, um, which is probably causing them to lose great talent. Right. Which might be those um, F&A individuals that really keep the books nice and tidy. That's kind of where my brain goes to, at least initially. Yeah, I would say to add to that, Ashley, I would say that. um, So when you're looking at finances, let's talk about retail hospitality for a second. Mm -hmm. A lot of our listeners are in that boat and they're saying, "Okay, you know, I'm just trying to stay afloat right now. I'm trying not to let go of employees, but it's really hard to survive. So you have to take a look at everything. You got to look at the amount of inventory you're buying. Right. So do you have to trim that down? Um, you know, could it be that you have to, to close a location too, possibly? Right. So that you don't have those rent payments that are hitting you overside the head. Um, so you've got to look at all of those things. But let me tell you what, it's kind of like your personal finances. How do you become financially free? Let's equate it to personal. Well, get out of your debt, right? OK. So yeah. number one is reduce debt. That increases cash flow. But mm-hmm. what's, what's another way to do it? Um, looking at your spending. Right. Or spending. Cut that. Okay. I mean, if you're not having a lot of people stay at your hotel, then you don't need to spend a lot on maybe laundry or certain services. So control spending, which Mm -hmm. I would say equate that to a budget. Mm -hmm. So people hate that word. um, But that's where I think Dave Dave Ramsey has a right is you have a personal budget that you live by. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then the other thing is increase revenues or increase income. Mm -hmm. So if I want to get out of debt and I have to work two jobs, problem is people don't want to work two jobs. Like having one job and going home, they don't want to do whatever it takes to raise your income, mm-hmm. to reduce your debt, to enhance your cash flow. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you have to solve all those problems, increase your revenues, find a way to do that. Okay, and that can be done through simple marketing campaigns and through some other initiatives. Okay, so if you grow your top line okay, and you control the middle, which is your spending, like you just mentioned, have a budget, mm-hmm. okay, and you're hitting your budget and making sure that you're falling within that, that is super important. Okay, and that helps with it. And then also we're looking at your debt. All right, so how do you reduce debt? Another thing that companies can do and it's, um, is what expenses within the organization can you cut, right? So are you outsourcing certain functions of your business that you can bring back in-house? 
um, your insurances, your your commercial insurance, your health insurance. Are those are you, can you find cost savings out there in the market mm-hmm. for those? Are there vendors that you can use for that? Mm-hmm. Okay, where you're able to reduce expenditures internally. Those are things that every company has to look at and say, okay, these expenses. How do I you know mitigate those, minimize those, reduce those expenses to improve my cash flow? Right. And for different businesses, you have to see where that is. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of restaurants right now have cut their menus down. Why are they doing that? It's a good practice. I'd rather have a, I'd rather go to a restaurant and have an abbreviated menu and eat than have their full slate. Well, that's because they don't want to buy the inventory. See, that's why mm-hmm. of having a full menu is expensive for them. And that's food sitting. And if it spoils, they're out money. They're going to they're going to put on the menu the things that are the most popular. They're going to generate revenues for them to keep them afloat. So that's why they're managing and controlling food and alcohol costs. Right. So those are the things that are mismanagement of finances that you really have to dive deep into. I like that. And I'm sitting here thinking like the companies that are not are now having all of their employees work remote and may stay like that indefinitely. They have a location that they're still paying for, um, you know, maybe, you know, cutting your contract and not having that brick and mortar location anymore or, you know, just because things are going to change as far as, you know, people commuting in and not having to do that anymore. So they're going to have to cut costs there. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, you know, like I said, there are most Americans are not personally financially free and they're running businesses. And so, you know, just kind of like your personal finances. You know, if you want to get there, you have to you have to do those three things. Mm-hmm. You're jumping to the the fifth one that you mentioned on, you know, low retention of client base. You know, as we're chatting, it's making me think of, um, hey, what are what are these companies doing to help out their clients? Right. How are they partnering together to keep their clients, keep that relationship going, keep the business going, but flexing on both sides. Right. I mean, you don't have to live up to that contract you signed two years ago. Maybe there's some flexibility now, especially with with the pandemic and just different different traits and, and things that have shifted, um, you know, can businesses work together and bend a little bit? Yeah, I think that's a great point. And customer service right now, I think, is a lost art. Um, and if you look at Google reviews, just look at Google reviews of companies nowadays, it's, it's tragic. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and that's because of the, there's no training for a lot of these employees. And a lot of these employees, so there's a phrase that I always use when it comes to customer service, and it's, Um, Are your customer service agents, do they have relationships with their clients that are transformational and not transactional? Right. If you live by that approach, you'll always have a five-star Google review on your page. And so customer service agents, they look at clients as transactions, Mm -hmm. right? So when I call the cable company, I generally am treated like a transaction. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that is an issue. That's an issue for me. Um, But the experiences where I feel like it's a transformational relationship, okay, where it's very caring and they take their time and they solve my issue and don't get passed on. Well, all the numerous reasons that I'm more apt to, you know, give reviews and be very satisfied and stay with that vendor. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's a big issue. No, I am. Um, that's a great point. And I'm just thinking, I feel like your company is kind of a good example of that because, you know, with our mine and Ashley's industry, we are in staffing. If we have a client that may not be hiring right now because of COVID, um, maintaining that relationship, but then also getting creative. And that's kind of where your company comes in and you you do reverse staffing. Mm-hmm. So it's thinking of different ways to partner together. Think of different solutions that you can still work together and still keep that relationship going, still generate revenue and still grow your company. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. It's a it's a great remark. 
And I think that, like you just said, I think it translates into number four on the list really well as far as um, the low-performing marketing and sales organization. Well, the root cause of that for a lot of companies nowadays is that in this midst of COVID, I would suggest, it's a suggestion that you learn a way to reinvent yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, don't have to recreate the wheel, but do look for a business model that the market needs at a time like this. Mm-hmm. Essentially, what we've done at HKA is coming up with that reverse staffing model that, you know, is um, different than what our competition is doing. And obviously, and it solves a problem. It, it, I have created a value proposition that, you know, that's needed in the market. So we've taken something that we just do traditionally for 40 plus years and we flipped it on its head. We didn't have to make a whole bunch of changes. It's just how we market our services and what we do. And all of a sudden we have a different business model. So I would say part number four is making sure that you as an organization have a business model that fits the time that we're in. Is there ever going back to the way it used to be? Probably not anytime soon. So you may have a business model like let's 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 take Amazon for an example. Amazon or Walmart. Great business models didn't need any any help for COVID. Mm-hmm. But you've got other models out there that needed some help. They're going to have to figure something out, right? So tech is doing great. All these companies that are online ordering, they're doing fine. Uh, grocery stores are doing fine. You don't have to really change a whole lot there. But what about everybody else? You know, what about like the retail and hospitality that we talked about? Mm-hmm. What about hotels and lodging? How are they going to stay afloat? Okay, you know, is there any different innovation that you can do? Any kind of marketing, um, marketing campaigns that are innovative? Um, and not just pricing and reducing your rates, but how you draw people in, uh, what different model can you do? So a lot of restaurants, for example, are doing delivery. So Red Robin delivers. Okay, well, that's, it's innovative. It's different. You can actually have Red Robin deliver to your door. That's, that's great. Mm-hmm. Okay, so restaurants are trying to think of things like that, but that's an example of innovation and in what you have to do to survive and catering to the market based on the time that you're in. Right. So I think that's important. You have to be agile and that's it's it's a full circle. That's where good leadership and vision comes in place and it just kind of all circulates. So um, how to build and grow a sales organization. What would you say are the the key things if you're going to build out your sales organization? What are the key things that you should do? So first of all, uh, so to kind of give you some context here, if I go back to number three on our list of, of lack of vision and leadership which is where a lot of companies fail. Um, I think that'll, that'll segue into our how to build and grow a sales organization. And so at the end of the day, the, the, the top person in that organization that you're talking to, we're really looking to them for leadership. And unfortunately, that doesn't mean that everybody has leadership skills or that they're a born leader. Uh, but those, you know, leadership, there's some aspects of it that I believe can be taught. And so right now, I think the biggest thing that a lot of companies don't have, their employees don't have any vision for a path forward from their leaders. Their leaders are absent as far as creating some 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 vision. And you know what happens, the, the old saying, when you have an absence of vision, okay, what happens to your soldiers if there's no clear path or direction? What would have happened on D-Day if Eisenhower didn't have a clear vision? I mean, my goodness, it would have been a completely different outcome, mm-hmm. right? So being a visionary is what you see with Tesla and you see it with SpaceX, okay? Mm-hmm. I mean, who would have thought that SpaceX would have done what it did, right? So mm-hmm. we have all these examples of extraordinary leaders in the market. And I think we can all take pages out of that book. So if you're the CEO of an organization or you're at the top in the C-suite, it's for your employees, more or less. It's painting a picture for them and showing them how we get through a time like this. You know, walking them through that. Maybe it's value statements or core values that you revisit, right? Maybe it's a, a value statement or vision statement that's presented to the company. doesn't do you any good to have vision and don't communicate it to your employees. Right. They need to know where that's at. Okay. They need to know what the future is for them personally. And so I think that lack of vision and leadership, you know, is, is essential. 
Um, somebody asked me one time, what's the definition of a leader? And I would say to you that for me, there are several, but one that rings to me is as a leader, I like to make the decisions that nobody else wants to make. I like making the tough decisions. So when somebody says, hey, what do you want to do with this? I'm happy to make a decision because at least there's a decision. Now, maybe the wrong decision doesn't mean I always make the right one. Right. Okay. But I like making the tough decisions. I embrace that as a leader. Okay. And some of them are really difficult, but that's what a leader does. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they're not you're going to sit and analyze, overanalyze things. I have to 100% agree with you. Um, I'm currently um, in a situation or, you know, have a, 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 a client that I connect with and I feel like sometimes um, their leadership is unable to, I want to say pull the trigger, but that's not really the right terminology here, but just make that decision, right? Whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, um, make the decision and move on because the, the inability to not make a decision is actually causing a little bit of turmoil to their name. Um, and of course, this is on like a staffing level, right? This isn't, um, you know, choosing a technology or, or something like that. But, you know, even even at that level of, you know, interviewing a bunch of people and not even choosing um, that person that you want to hire. Right. And kind of going through individuals and not making a decision is um, is causing this riff. And and causing in the market to have their name be tarnished a little bit. Um, so I, I think that's a great point. You know, being able to make a decision again, whether it's right mm-hmm. or wrong, good or bad, indifferent, just having that decision made so that you can move forward. And I mean, there's always ways to fix that too, right? I mean, that's yep. a learning opportunity as well. I think so. And you got to remember, there's four different personality types out there. So an analytical personality type struggles with making a decision. There's nothing wrong with being analytical. Mm-hmm. I think it's great. I'm expressive. So analytical is not one of my traits. So I need to surround myself with people that are analytical, that are detail orientated, that can help me make a decision. Mm-hmm. Okay. But there comes a point where it's, you know, paralysis by analysis. Right. Oh gosh. I say that all the right? time. Okay. Yeah. I literally okay. write emails sometimes and I'm like, I look over at Steph and I'm like, Steph, analysis paralysis. I'm sitting here writing this email and I'm questioning what I, what I've written. So I've gotten a lot better at it in the last couple of years where I'm just like, you know what? I'm going to say what I need to say. It's going to be professional. It's going to be in my own Ashley way. And then I'm going to send it. Absolutely. Right. And then if I make a mistake, no big deal. I'll communicate that and talk to them about that. But you're absolutely right. Yeah, I totally agree. And so that's the premise of what we're saying. And number three is we have to be able to make decisions and as a leader, surround yourself with the right people to make the right decisions. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so I always say, hire people that are better than yourself. Yes. So my objective when I hire a salesperson is I want, I want them to be better than me. Yeah. I don't want to be the best sales. If I'm a sales manager, I'm the best salesperson on the team. We are going to struggle. <laughs> okay. By the way, if you have a sales manager and a salesperson, you don't have either one. Right. Okay. So one of the areas that I've seen in the past, a lot of companies, we talk about number two stuff. Let's get to that. Oh my goodness. Right. How to build and grow a sales organization. Most small businesses today, you have sales managers doing the selling. I've been in that role. It's very difficult. Why do they do that? So many organizations do that, right? I feel like I see that time and time again, they make their top salesperson, the manager. And sometimes that person strives and, and that's their goal and they want to do that. But then some other times, and most often often than not, they just move them into a management position because they think that they can teach others what they do. Right. And I will tell you, it's, it is tough. 
when you're the top salesperson moving into a manager role, you know, one of the areas that I've always struggled with when making that transition is when you're good at something, right? You, hit, you get a tendency to be impatient with people. You want them to be at your level. And that's kind of that, you can get that control freak personality part where it's like, nobody can do it better than me. And that's where you have to soften that as a manager, you have to peel back and say, okay, not everybody's me. Uh, you know, they all have different skill sets and abilities, different ways of doing it, but does it get us to the end, the end goal? And can I train and develop them and give them some traits and learn to let go and delegate, which I think is what good managers and leaders do. But yes, at the end of the day, too many businesses have selling sales managers instead of investing in a good manager to spend full time developing salespeople. And that is a problem when you're building your sales organization. If you have a sales manager right now that is your sales rep, okay, that's probably an issue. Um, I've been in a role before where, you know, I had a direct report and I had to go out and hit a big quota. I couldn't invest any of my time with that employee. It was right. very difficult mm-hmm. you know, when you have this really high quota because I need to help the company. Right. And so the employee didn't get the tools that, that he or she needed, right? So that it, it ended up not working out uh, for that employee and it wasn't fair to them. So you really need to, if listen, if, you, if you're a small company, maybe you don't need a sales manager. Maybe it's the owner of the company right now and you just have two or three salespeople. Great. Mm-hmm. It's much better than that, you know, than, than doing it the other way around where you've got somebody managing, has an individual goal. And also has a team goal to hit with their reps. Right. Oh, good point. Oh, that's why we have Dan. I feel like Dan, <laughs> that's why he's so good at. Shout he's, out. He, um, he doesn't do selling. He just, he's kind of like our sales manager or sales mentor, leader. Yeah. Um, but it's important to have someone yet not in a producing role managing. I agree. Yeah. And so when you're building a top sales organization, uh, first thing you do is find good talent. And, uh, you know, you've got to get out there and recruit. You know, good talent. I, I generally do it on LinkedIn. Um, let me tell you how to find it. Let's answer this point number two. Yes, okay. Because that's, that's the question everybody's like, well, how do you find it? Um, I'm going after the people that are happy where they're at. Mm-hmm. Secret number one. Right. Okay. I don't generally recruit somebody who's out of a job. And now in this environment, that could be different. different yeah. Okay. It could be different because there are good people that have not, uh, have been let go or furloughed. But generally speaking, um, I'm going after people that have been in a job three, four, five, six years or top performers. And I'm reaching out to them, whether it's through LinkedIn um, or other venues and through personal contacts. And I try to have a top five list at all times. And even if clients are happier or candidates are happy where they're at, okay, the timing does change. Yeah. And generally what I find is, is that when you can recruit those people away, that's why we call it recruiting, right? Is that we're going after and we're pitching them, we're selling them, which is what any sales director and you know, manager should be doing on why it's great to work for our organization. There's great opportunity here. So I love that. I love being able to recruit. So I would suggest that when you're looking for salespeople, look for those top performers in your industry, maybe at a competitor, possibly, okay, where you can recruit them, you know, and maybe the timing is off, but timing and things change. Sometimes a candidate calls you a year down the road and says, hey, okay, and or you develop a relationship with them, right? You have coffee here and there. You talk on the phone. You stay up to date with them a year or two down the road. Things change and you're able to recruit them over when you're getting that type of talent you're going to blow up as an organization because you're doing it that way. Right. Okay. So it's, it's one of the keys to, to building your, your sales organization is the right talent. Mm-hmm. I have um, clients ask me that all the time. How do you find your talent? And mm-hmm. it's, and I always tell them number one thing is it's from relationships. It's from referrals and relationships. It's not from actively looking at the job boards and finding candidates who aren't working. It's by, reaching out to those people that you have built those relationships with over the years and reaching out to your network. And it's those people that are happy in their current role or 
you know, have been at their company for a while and, you know, they're ready for kind of that next step. Mm-hmm. I agree totally 100% agree. 100% with you. Um, what is true business development? All right. Well, business development, boy, and notice it doesn't say sales. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like business development term a lot better. It can mean different things to different people. So uh, for some people, they don't they don't view it in any sales capacity. But for me, business development is translated in my language as relationship building. So let's translate that term into the language that I would speak. And that's kind of how I relay it. So we call our team at HK Business Development Managers Right. I like the words being in there. We don't call them, you know, sales. We don't put that anywhere in there. Right. Um, and really what, what we want is our, when you develop business, you got to you do that through relationship building. And and people nowadays are saying, well, how do you do that in COVID with Zoom? You can still do it just fine on Zoom. Mm-hmm. If you can, if you're in a state where you can do in person, great. I think that's the number one preference. I don't think we'll ever be able to get away from that ultimately. Um, but you can still build relationships through the Zoom piece or phone or text. Right. I mean, if you're an extrovert in a business development role, that's all you want to do is meet in person, right. you know. So, yeah, we're all like ready, ready to get going. <laughs> Unleash the beasts. We're ready to get coffee and lunch and go. And yeah. And go. I think you just said something that, you know, is the foundation of where successful salespeople, what they're doing. Right. Anybody that's promoting their organization in a sales capacity. Um, you Sales to me is I can make 50 calls a day. Right. hundred right. calls a day. It's KPIs. And I don't think I have any problem with certain KPIs. You know, I think it's good to have accountability when you're running a sales organization. But I think that that, again, goes back to transactional type mm-hmm. of activity. It's not transformational. Right. So how are you transforming things? Well, when you're building relationships with people, all right, they trust you. People want to buy from people they like. Mm-hmm. And so for me, you know, I really don't have to sell a whole lot. I just create relationships. And then whenever, you know, if they're ready to buy something, fantastic. Or they connect me to somebody who can. It's just connections and networking and relationships. So I wish that we met about, I don't know, more than three years ago, right? Because that's exactly what was what mindset, what my what my mindset was is that sales or business development is sales. And sales is just picking up the phone and dialing and having the sales pitch. And I didn't realize that it was just relationship building, which is what I love, which is what I've always been about. So it wasn't until I met Dan, the D-Rod, that like he just kind of opened my eyes to that. And now that we're diving in deep about this, it's it's a no brainer. Like, why wouldn't anybody want to meet people and get to know them and build those relationships with great individuals? I think it's great. So, Ashley, let's, let's think about this from an analogy standpoint. Right. So I, I was on an appointment one time and we have 15 people in a boardroom and I, I'm a sales guy coming in. Right. And two of my competitors before me came in in suits and ties and had the, the PowerPoints and the dog and pony show. Mm-hmm. And when I sat down and you're, it's intimidating when it's you and 15 people. Right. In this company with 700 employees. Right. They're and like, and impress us, go. <laughs> right. And they're like, so they asked me, they said, when I first got there, they said, so where's your, do you have any materials for us? Do you have, where's your presentation? Do you need a PowerPoint screen? I said, I, I don't need any of that. Um, they said, okay. Um, you don't have anything to show us? I said, no, I really don't, sir. I said, um, I have my notepad here. I've got 25 questions written down on this notepad for you because I've been on your website and I honestly have questions about you and your organization. I, you know, I think that there's a fit here, but I really don't know. So you have your list of questions for me. I have mine for you. I came today to have a conversation. So um, they're like, well, your competitors, I said, I know, but that's what, that's, that's the point. You're making my point, sir, is that I'm not my competition. I can come in here and I can be just like them and show you marketing slicks and put PowerPoints up. And I can tell you all about our company. 
at this point, I would like to learn more about your company because I don't even know if I, I'm the right fit or solution for you. I could be, right? It could be that after today's conversation, we just part ways and you go with my competitors. I'm cool with that, right? But I don't want to waste your time or you waste mine. Let's sit down and just talk. So I'm going to make some notes, right? And if you want to, I'm happy to dive into my questions first and then you guys can ask. Well, let's have an hour, two hour conversation. And at the end, let's see where we stack and where we end. And, you know, and I'm, and I'm wearing this kind of an outfit. I'm not dressed in a suit and tie. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Right. But I wanted to create, by the way you dress, I wanted to set the tone for the meeting, which was very relaxed and conversational and not super formal, right, where we had to sit down and then just, you know, go through this stuff and do all of that. And so to me, that's business development. What I was able to translate on that call and everybody sat back in the chair. So when you're reading your body language from your prospect and they start to sit back and relax, all of a sudden, it was inviting for them to have a conversation. Right. Okay. And so that meeting went very, very well. And what I did is establish trust. And it'll translate into some of our points here. We talk about, you know, educating and informing people as the new way of selling nowadays. Mm-hmm. That comes from really true business development, mm-hmm. which is sitting down and having a conversation. I'm not coming today to sell you anything. I'm not even coming today to show you my product at all. I just want to learn more about your business, about you. How'd you start your business? What happened? You know, you know, how do you guys do this or that? And so um, I'm asking a lot of questions and I think that's what you do. Mm-hmm. Right? It's the same thing when you take somebody out for lunch or coffee. So I have a rule of thumb. I generally like to eat. Uh, I'll ask a bunch of questions during the initial coffee meeting or lunch meeting. Okay. So they're talking while I'm eating. Okay. And then, you know, so they're, they're just talking, talking, talking. By the time I finish my food, then it's time for everything to flip. So call it five, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Now, all of a sudden... I hate it for them. Their food is generally cold, <laughs> right? But now they're diving into their hopefully food. Hopefully they ordered a salad. They, hopefully they ordered a salad, right? <laughs> but so now that, that, now that I'm done and, and I've asked a bunch of questions, I have a lot of information. So now while they're eating, you'll see it. And it's just organic, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like I plot it, but it's organic. Now I'm able to say, all right, based on what you said, let me tell you a little bit about what we can do where I see some fit here. Mm-hmm. And so then I'm able to, while they're eating, talk with them a little bit. And it's a healthy exchange versus two people trying to eat at the same time. Right. So... Was the, the boardroom meeting, was that recent or was that in the past? And how did it end up? So it was about two years ago. It was in Jacksonville. And uh, we ended up getting the account. And a lot of it, again, was just based on the relationship. It was based on trust. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was not based on price, although price was a factor. And I'll kind of use this analogy in one of our points here on this next point. Maybe it's a great transition, actually. Um, we can come back to a couple of these other points. But how to close the sale, what the pros are doing and what... Um, you know, what most salespeople aren't doing. Mm-hmm. So that's, the, we can use that as one of the first points. That's right. So the way to be different than your competition, and that's what I would say when I'd go into every meeting is, hey, you know, I'm not going to rub dirt on my competition. Um, I don't, I'm just going to tell you how we're different. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that they're better, they're worse, we're better, they're worse. Beauty's in the eye of the beholder when it comes to a product or service. So you may look at my product and you may not like it, you may love it. So I'm not going to tell you what to think. You make your own determination You know, my job today is just to provide you with value and education and information. Mm -hmm. All right. And so for me, I was always different than my competition. So if they were doing this, I like to do why so that I stood out. And I think that that's uh, an important part of closing your sale. But specifically, one major point here, a lot of salespeople today are so desperate for the sale and then they lose the deal. Mm -hmm. Okay. And desperation causes more loss of sales and relationships, by the way. Right. When you're desperate, hands down, uh, it doesn't matter whether it's a personal relationship, a dating relationship, what have you. Okay, when one party is desperate, it it causes the other to push away. And in sales, that is especially the case when you are lighting up the inbox of a prospect 
and you're constantly nagging and bugging them. And for me, what I like to do is generally a takeaway on most deals, mm-hmm. right? Where I'm comfortable walking away from the deal. And so I think that that's, that's when you generally get the closes. People want to buy when you take something away from them. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, 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 hold on a second. Okay, no, no, I'm good. I mean, like literally, maybe you should go with our competition. I've said that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times where it's like, I don't know if I'm a fit here. I think I'm a little too pricey for you. Okay, or if you're buying on price, I'm not a fit. In fact, one guy said that to me in that boardroom meeting. We got down to the very end. He said, Aaron, we really like you. We trust you. We said, one problem. So what is that, sir? He said, well, you're $20,000 a year higher than your competition. I said, okay, well, let me ask you a question because now we, I built this relationship with this guy that I can have this kind of conversation now. And I said, John, let me ask you a question. Um, your organization right now in your industry, are you the highest or are you the lowest priced vendor in your industry? He said, well, really kind of in the upper middle. You know, we're definitely not the cheapest. We're not after market share per se. He said, we're definitely not at the top. Like, and he named a couple of his competitors that were higher priced. I said, so you're kind of middle, upper middle. And I said, uh, so are we. So I'm not the lowest priced vendor out there, right? Selling these services. I'm not the highest priced. I'm kind of right in the middle. In fact, there are vendors out there that are more expensive than me. I think the vendors that you're looking at um, are after market share and they're priced way down on the market. And I said, if, if you're buying on price, I'm, I'm definitely not a fit for you. Because um, in our industry, you get what you pay for. So you can pay that amount. That's totally fine. I have no issue if you go that direction. I will just tell you that I'm worth every penny of $20,000 and I'm not making any concessions. And because I believe that in our, our instance, and here's a great phrase, a closing phrase, our pricing is commensurate to the value that I'm providing you. Mm-hmm. Right. So those two things match. Now, if I haven't done a great job of selling you on that or teaching you that and showing you where my value equates to my price, then that's my fault. I didn't do a good enough job. I'm hoping throughout this process, you've seen that I'm worth the extra 20,000. And if not, then that's on me. It's not your problem. Mm-hmm. Okay. But if your criterion and see, that's what we've talked about, mm-hmm. you know, your buying criterion price was a factor. I got you. But in this situation, there's nothing more I can do because I know the kind of value, the customer service that we provide, the value of the technology that I'm providing to you. And I said, so, Again, do you want salespeople coming into your office all the time and saying, sir, I need to um, discount this and discount this? You start now, all of a sudden, instead of being a middle upper priced, you become the lowest price because you're constantly caving in on deals. At what point do you tell your salespeople to sell value of your company? Mm-hmm. That's essentially what I'm telling you. And that analogy translated for him and he laughed because that's happened to him. He's like, I actually had somebody come in the other day and ask me to cut pricing on a deal. The salesperson just wanted to win the deal so bad. Yeah, and we didn't do it. I said that we just don't want that business. Mm-hmm. And I said, same here. I'm willing to walk away as well if you're not willing, if you don't see that. Right. And we're able to make a deal work because we saw eye to eye. But let's go back to why, why? relationships. Mm-hmm. John and I developed a relationship over about four or five weeks in multiple conversations. Right. I love that. I feel like that's totally my mindset and what I try to do. It's like I'm, I'm not a salesperson. I'm like not... I'm not good at sales. I'm good at relationships. Mm-hmm. And whenever I was, you know, first getting into a business development role or a sales role, I was like, I don't know if I'm cut out for that. I'm not a salesperson. But then I learned it's it's just relationship building. I'm a great relationship builder and I truly care about people and business and what I do. But I'm not a salesperson. You know, it's I feel like they're two totally different things. They really are. And you know what? You don't have to be, you don't have to have a salesperson. Some of the best salespeople I know, Steph, you'll love this, are introverts. Mm -hmm. Not, no kidding. 
Okay, they 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 thrive off of one on one or one on two interactions, right. and they don't you know they don't always go to mixers and events, and they're not charged necessarily by groups of people. They're comfortable with one on one relationship type settings, and they're extremely successful because they're relationship builders. Mm-hmm. Okay, so salespeople can come in many shapes and sizes now, and forms and personality types. And so at the end of the day, closing a deal means you have the ability not to be desperate, and you you you're willing to walk away from any deal. So then the salesperson says, well, but I've only got two deals in my pipeline. That's your problem. Mm. Okay. Pipeline development, pipeline management is the key to being able to be not desperate. Okay. So if I've got 50 irons in the fire and one of them drops out, it's okay. I mean, I sleep fine. I don't lose any, any sleep. Okay. If, if 10 of them drop out, I'm, I'm okay. Mm-hmm. Then I'll go develop 10 more. It's a numbers game in sales as we always hear translated. So it will affect you in any environment when you're creating relationships and trying to promote and sell your product out there. You've got to develop activity with your pipeline so that as things so that you can walk in and smile, sit back in your chair and say, sir, I don't this may not be a good fit for you and walk out, shake that person's hand and say, it's OK, we can part ways. It didn't work out. We're not the right fit. Mm-hmm. They won't that smell that desperation in that case, right? They do. That's right. And that's where um, salespeople are losing the deals. It's too salesy, mm-hmm. right? They're being pushed and you got to pull back and, you know, and, and, and that'll that'll increase your closing percentages. Should we go into some rapid fire questions? Yeah, I felt like that was Uh-oh. really good, Aaron. I know. I um I feel like we could sit here and chat with you all day, but obviously yes. you have another meeting to go to since you flew into Tampa. I wish we could go play golf maybe next time. <laughs> um or actually maybe we could just go to the gym and lift because <laughs> you like powerlifting and that was one of my rapid yeah. fire questions was what's your favorite powerlifting um move and how much what was your your recent pr on that oh boy the timing of this is actually impeccable so i am best at deadlifting so bench press is okay i've got long arms so range of motion is longer for me right so you know bench press i'm okay you know i'll, I'll work into 350 355 range on bench pressing you know, I think I did 405 one time a couple of years ago is my best, nice. but it's just a longer range of motion. Um, squatting for me is is kind of my second lift. I enjoy squatting a lot, yeah. um, but my deadlift is my premier lift. So yesterday I actually PR'd at 590. Wow. wow that's on a traditional awesome. deadlift. Yep. And um, and that that was two years in the making. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I haven't hit a PR in a couple of years. You know, I had a couple of surgeries over the last year or two. So that kind of set me back and I had to recover from, mm-hmm. from lifting, lifting injuries. Oh and uh, so now I finally got back to deadlifting. And so I'm trying to get to my genetic best right. goal is 600. So That's amazing. You know, maybe in the next month or so we can get there. We'll see. You're not too far away. Yeah. How does that help you in other aspects of your life? Powerlifting. Um, it's a competitive drive. What I like about powerlifting is I'm always competing against myself. So as I, I was sharing with Ashley before is as a male, I have an ego and it's a great place to channel my ego, right? Mm-hmm. You know, because the one thing I don't want to do is project it out in the business world. So how do I feed it? How do I grow it? Well, I love that time in my home gym at home when I'm driving against myself and it's the personal pride that I take from hitting a PR and all the hard work that goes into it that gives me confidence. And uh, it started when I was in high school lifting weights. It's the whole reason I got into weightlifting is I was a junior in high school and um, I needed confidence. I, you know, was very insecure about myself. I was only 170 pounds. It wasn't very popular. And, uh, and so I started lifting weights and it transformed my, my, my figure and it gave me confidence in myself. It translated into sports. It translated into my personality. 
And that's carried over in the last 23 years of my career. Mm -hmm. So when I feel like I'm on top of my game with my fitness, uh, it translates into my into the business world for me and makes me competitive, gives me an edge, gets those endorphins released, and you feel like you're on top of your game. Right. I love that you said you compete against yourself because you should never compare yourself to another individual, right? They're completely different. They are original. They are their own self. So you should really... Compete against yourself. Make yourself better every day. Don't look at other people. Look yeah. At, look in the mirror. You want to be the best version of yourself. Right. So that's through, through development. And it's kind of like we talked about. I still, after 23 years of weightlifting, have not mastered, in all humility here, the deadlift form. We're talking about that. Right? Like, I, I'm still taping the form and critiquing my own technique. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's, I'm just not there. And, and I may never get there. Because there's always something that needs to be tweaked and improved, but that's part of self-development. It's the same thing in your professional career. I have not mastered sales or business development. There's a lot of work for me to do, Mm -hmm. right? So that's where your personal development, listening to podcasts, getting great content like what you provide is essential, I think, to grow in your career. Do I agree with everything that somebody says? Not necessarily. Um, Not everybody's going to agree with the things that I've shared today. It'll be so aptly noted on your comment section. (laughs) And that's okay, right? You can't make everybody happy. Everybody's different. Right, right. Okay, let's move from workout to the couch. What's your show or favorite show that you're watching right now? We need something new to watch. Um, What are you watching? Well, you know, my wife and I watch America's Got Talent. Uh, That's I don't watch a lot of TV. Do you you guys know? No, uh-uh. We catch like random Netflix shows. If someone's like, oh, you have to watch this. So, yeah, yeah, America's Got Talent is one that we'll watch. Um, I'm not much of a Hallmark guy, but recently (laughs) we've gotten into the uh, Aurora Tea Garden uh, murder mystery shows. And believe it or not, I'm actually intrigued by those. I've I've actually enjoyed those. And and I'm not much of a Hallmark guy aside from that. But uh, (laughs) and then sports, which, you know, right now, honestly, we know without having sports the last four months, I've actually been okay with it. Right. Yeah. I feel like my life is more fulfilled than I'm spending time doing other things. We, oh. Right, exactly. You're focused on other things now. All the wives are happy, happier right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're like, oh, I have my husband back. Awesome. Hey, there's still a little hope of college football, okay? So. <laughs> yeah. um, what was the last gift that you gave someone? I gave a, a Starbucks gift card to one of my recruiters the other day. Hmm. So I felt like uh, Ashley Taylor did a fantastic oh. job supporting. Great name, too. Shout out to Ashley. Yeah, shout out to Ashley Taylor. I think it's important. you got to remember the names of your employees, right? Mm-hmm. And call them by name. And so Ashley Taylor has done a fantastic job supporting my account managers and placing business and getting candidates out on our staffing side. And so I just walked over and gave her a gift card. I, just, I think that's important that you remember all those employees in your organization. So it's a great question. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you, you know, you seem like you have a pretty structured, buttoned-down um, way of doing things, right? How to be successful. I know you're always fine tuning things and trying to be your best self. So looking back, right, on your childhood on a scale of one to 10, one being easy, 10 being hard, how strict were your parents? Um, I would say my parents were a seven or an eight. Um, I grew up in a independent uh, home in a sense that I grew up in a Christian home, which I really value. My faith is very important to me. And um, mom and dad taught me those values that I still carry with me today. And uh, so for me, though, my mom and dad allowed me to make my own mistakes in some areas. And that was helpful for me. I think one of the things that uh, we're trying to do as parents is not over shelter our children and where they can never make mistakes and never learn from them. And so, you know, I was able to, to fall on my face a few times, even as a teenager, 
and uh, and learn from that. And I'm always the guy I hate it. I hate this part about myself. It's actually one of my weaknesses, honestly. If you were ever asked me that question, is I have to learn the hard way half the time, and I have to make a mistake, you know, and then learn from it. I always learn from my mistakes, but oftentimes people are like Aaron's just going to have to figure this one out, and he's going to make that mistake. And so that's me because I'm stubborn. Mm-hmm. And what I realized then is that okay, this this isn't working. And I made a mistake. Uh oh! You said you're mistakes. stubborn. Are you a Taurus? I don't know. <laughs> When's your birthday? January. Uh, Aquarius, maybe. I don't know. Aquarius. I don't, I don't know the. I know not a Taurus. Okay, we'll have to look that up. I just said Taurus because <laughs> my husband's a Taurus. Okay. He's stubborn. That's why. I'm a Taurus too. <laughs> Both of them are just stubborn. No, just kidding. Just kidding. We love you. If you're listening. <laughs> Um, last question. Yes. If the world was going extinct, which animal would you save and why? We're going to give you some choices. Okay. Give me some choices. Uh, rabbit, sheep, deer, and horse. Um, you know, I, that's an easy one for me as a Christian because sheep would be the, the easiest thing for me. Um, sheep need to be led. And, uh, so, and they're submissive. And, um, and they get lost every once in a while, and it's responsibility of the shepherd to find them when they're lost and give them direction. Nice. Right? And that's just right out of the Bible. And so for me, that's, that, that's easy, mm-hmm. right, where you have a horse who's going to buck you every once in a while. Talk about stubborn. <laughs> right? The horses will do that, right? Um, you know, a rabbit, you know, to me is too fast. You can't ever catch it. It's got a mind of its own, mm-hmm. right? You know, deer, um, they don't go anywhere near the road. They're afraid to get shot. And so you can go on different different things with different animals, sure. but for me, the, the sheep is a, is low hanging fruit for me. It would be a no brainer. Very cool. I like that. What yeah. does that mean? I know you were trying to explain to me all the meanings. Yeah. There. So basically, um, depending on which animal you chose, shows the types of people that you attract in your life. And when you pick the sheep, it means that you're attracted to um, individuals who are um, like genuine. And kind of trustworthy. Mm-hmm. So it's true. Yeah. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, awesome. Thank you so much, Aaron, for Thank being you. here. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed this. This was great. I feel like your insight and your thoughts, I mean, they're just so, I mean, they, they resonated a lot with me. Mm-hmm. And I feel like they, they will with a lot of our listeners as well. Great. Well, I hope so. Uh, I just, you know, providing education and information is essential right now at a time like this. And we need people to step up. Like I said, I'm always learning something. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you all taught me some as well being here today. And I appreciate your humility and your time. This has been great. Just good conversation. Thank you. I agree. And if you guys have any questions um, for Aaron or, you know, for us that maybe we didn't dive in deep enough, feel free to email us at liveboldandbossup at gmail.com. Thank you to the Tampa Bay Wave and Next Path Career Partners for helping this all happen. And until next time, live bold and boss up. I'm Jerry Petock, CEO of Radio Influence. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thank you for downloading and subscribing to this podcast. There are a lot of people behind the scenes here at Radio Influence that work hard to keep you entertained day in and day out. If you'd like to get involved and advertise on this program, or you have some show ideas that you'd like to see us add to the Radio Influence family, please email us at contact at radioinfluence.com. We all have crazy schedules, so the fact that you took time out of your busy day to let us entertain you for a while means a lot. Without you, the listeners, we wouldn't exist. So thank you again for downloading and subscribing to this show. Don't forget to check out radioinfluence.com to see what other shows we also have to offer. 
All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and of course, RadioInfluence.com. <laughs>